Welcome to Paid Media Coffee. I'm your host, Kelly Mancuso, and today we're talking about the evolution of paid search. Today I have Brian Easter. He's the co-founder of Nebo. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I hope I don't um, go too far back in history here. (laughs) We also have Kim Lincoln for the first time on the show. She's the president of Nebo. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to finally be here. Yeah, and another newbie. We have Anna Swinier. She is a senior paid search manager here at Nebo. Hey guys, excited to talk about search. All right, I'm really excited because we haven't talked about search a lot on the show. We actually haven't had any specific episodes dedicated to paid search. And I'm also excited because between the four of us, we all began our careers in paid search at different times. So I think we're all going to bring a really interesting perspective (laughs) to this. So to get started, I would like for each of you to tell us about what paid search was like when you started in the industry and then what major changes you've experienced along the way. So Brian, let's start with you. Yeah, I think you have to start with me. <laughs> As uh, a veteran. So when expert. so when, you know, I started my career, if you could spell HTML, you could make a lot of money. Search engine marketing wasn't a thing. And uh, I was lucky that I was in the industry that was um, very digital first, uh, even then. And um one day, this uh, website company, whatever, gotothat.com, came out with the PPC model. Nobody had ever heard of that. That later was rebranded to Overture. And it wasn't used. People didn't trust it. People didn't think about it. But those of us who did, it was pretty cool because basically for like literally 10 cents, you could buy like a very targeted keyword and the ad would appear and... People clicked it and bought. You know, it, was, it, was, it didn't even have to be relevant. Mm-hmm. People were buying words like Britney Spears and then taking them to non-Britney Spears sites, which seems weird to me, but yeah. it was just the Wild West. You could also serve multiple ads. So there were advertisers mm-hmm. that would buy like, hey, if I wanted to buy like um, best uh, paid media agency, I could buy that and then I could buy it again and then I could buy it again and have all the SERPs or the paid SERPs be there. So then really sophisticated markers, those are really cool. <laughs> They used Yahoo, which later bought Overture, Mm -hmm. and Google AdWords. And you could still buy keywords for like 10 cents. (laughs) And clients, their minds were blown, and you're like driving conversions, and they think you're magic. And our best practices were terrible. (laughs) Ad copy was probably terrible, uh, because you didn't have to up your game. It was about being there. We thought we were good. But looking back at some old ad copy, I'm like, oh, God, I wrote that. That was the world from the mid-90s into uh, the early 2000s when much smarter, talented people came into uh, the arena and upped the game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think our best practices were terrible. <laughs> they were the best <laughs> practices at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Once came in and took over the, the agency. Yeah, so I'm not quite as ancient as Brian, but I am, <laughs> I am up there. So I started in 2006 as an intern, a paid media intern at Nebo. And like Brian said, it was still like very, simplistic. There was Google, there was Yahoo, and I think MSN too was a separate search engine. And at that time, there was just like the search network and the content network. It wasn't even the display network. It was the content yeah, network. Yeah. There was not really any automation. Even like the quality scores back then were just like poor or good. Mm-hmm. And like you didn't even know what went into that. So you're just always <laughs> kind of guessing. And there was no mobile targeting. Yeah, Ad formats were like mostly just text. You could do images, but the text was like, it had to be headline 25 and then 35 and 35. Okay. And I remember getting so frustrated because you have like the greatest ad and then it'd be like 36 characters. Yeah. Like, I have to start over. Oh but God. you learned all these little tricks, tricks for how to like cut down. Yeah. Ampersand. Exactly. Or, yeah. Like little abbreviations. 
So yeah, a lot of it was very tedious, but um, it was also really new still. So it was really fun because there wasn't as much competition. It was a lot cheaper. Yeah. And so it, it used to feel like we could like really change our clients' businesses like oh, almost overnight. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a lot more complexity now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was also a lot easier to be really good at it and stand mm-hmm. out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Anna, what about you, our so, newest to the industry? <laughs> yeah, so I actually started learning my career in paid search began in college, which is vastly <laughs> different now. So um, my professors were pioneering my education from the get-go in my coursework. I remember actually writing an essay on RTB. What does RTB stand for wow. was my question. So just like really <laughs> diving into real-time bidding mm-hmm. and learning all the nuances about it from a textbook and then applying those practices and those principles and getting to see them in real time in real life now with what I'm doing, um, optimizing campaigns. So mm-hmm. uh, I literally started learning about paid search five years ago, but have been optimizing campaigns for four years. When I started enhancing CPC was like just coming out. So for me, my experience with paid search has really been an automation first Mm -hmm. world. So really taking a different approach from cheaper CPCs and, you know, looking at just shorter ad copy um, and looking at the automated formats and the automated landscape that we have now with smart bidding, with longer ad copy, with (laughs) responsive search ads. Very long ad copy. (laughs) Dynamic search ads. All the things that now we see as normal best practices for Mm -hmm. paid search um, really started rolling out for me a few years ago. So it's been a really wild ride for paid search. Um, I think that's now what kind of scares some companies from, from getting in the game. There's a lot of different things that you can do with paid search now, but I think Mm -hmm. that's also one of the great creative aspects of it too, you know, um, paid social and, and display and programmatic buys, those look fun and they have fun in, images, but behind the scenes paid search is just as creative now, which yeah. is really exciting. So yeah. One quick flashback to history because it reminds me of, Anna, you're so knowledgeable and Kelly, we should bring up the award she got this year. <laughs> Yes, Anna is an official Microsoft Ads okay. superhero. I sure am. There is a huge cutout of her in our office with sent her by face. My, sent by Microsoft. Sent by Microsoft. With One of face three people in the country. There nine. Was, uh, nine. Nine, nine people still. Yeah. Awesome. But Thank you, guys. It reminds me, because I've been on reporting calls with you, I remember when I went from doing my own freelance stuff to working on the client side, we hired somebody to do um, paid search for us. And this company, the first report they gave us, they delivered in a binder. It was printed like at Kinko's, yes. And and it was like, it was, I look back at it and it's so funny because reporting so advanced now and all the things you're talking about, like I watch you talk to clients and sometimes their minds are just blown because you're talking (laughs) about stuff and it's like, wow, the world is so much more sophisticated than it was even five years ago. It is. It's actually a really fun exercise to go back into the agency archives and find old reports and look at them, you know, and see like the, the... quote unquote mind blowing stats that we would <laughs> report on, you know, we're, we're very simple and now it's so complex. It's like, there's just yeah. so much to look well, at yeah, that then leads to something else that leads to something else. So it's different problems too, like mm-hmm. abbreviations and using ampersands. Well, now I'm struggling with two description lines at 90 characters yeah. and <laughs> trying to, I'm like, this it's is like, too much. yeah, like you have a lot of content that you can use now um, mm-hmm. and three headlines. So it's, it's a big difference. And then putting responsive search ads on top of that, like creating over 10 headlines and four, it's just, it's wild now, but I think that's all part of the evolution of paid search and how we're growing and we're evolving. Um, it's, yeah. really, it's really exciting. 
Yeah, so obviously the ad platform initiated changes and the capabilities have changed a lot, but there are more macro trends that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can't ignore the shifts in behaviors and just the evolution of search engines in general as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you think those things have disrupted paid search? Yeah, so we talk about this a lot, but I think in general, the definition of what a search engine is has changed. So, you know, you could have a search engine in your car, uh, Spotify is a search engine, YouTube's a search engine. Mm-hmm. Um, you have vertical search where people might go to, like straight to Amazon before they go to Google. Mm-hmm. You know, your fridge could be a search engine. But with that said, you know, search engines have always been a tool to try to decipher user intent. Mm-hmm. So I think... Google especially is getting better and better at that by using AI, neural technology, um, to really understand kind of the underlying intent behind somebody's search. I saw a quote recently from Google's vice president of search um, that said that they see billions of searches every day and 15% of those queries are ones they have not seen before. Oh, wow. So they really have to like build ways yeah. to return relevant results for those queries without even knowing what they might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they've done that is through a lot of AI and, and machine learning. So you see these updates from Google, like with BERT and with their Google Duplex, the AI platform, and with Mina, their chat platform, where you can see that they're going that way to kind of get us away from that like keyword ease to more of, hey, this is more of a two-way conversation. Yeah. So like instead of searching for Atlanta jobs, which is like what I would have searched for, you know, yeah. in 2006 when I was looking for jobs. Right. You might search for like, what is the best job for me? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you trust Google to give you a good answer. Yeah, and a relevant one mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. So in general, I think with that, with voice, with visual search, like search continues to expand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the broadest trend that I've been seeing. It's a different mindset now for advertisers. We need to really think about that conversation that the Mm -hmm. user is asking to experience from us. Mm -hmm. And so that's a way different approach than how it used to be. And I think uh, a lot of queries are untapped, that 15% that are brand new. Mm -hmm. Like those are huge trends as advertisers that we can capitalize on. That's Mm -hmm. traffic that we can direct to our sites. Um, That's conversions, potential conversions that we can give our clients Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So I think that's a huge shift to, um, we used to be as advertisers in paid search, best practices was last click mentality. Mm -hmm. So going for that query that's going to give you that conversion. But now through segmentation in Google, we can see path to conversion Mm -hmm. is a lot more than one touch point. Mm -hmm. It can be five, it can be 13, depending on what the conversion is that we're trying to achieve. So I think that's also a really big step too, is that's 12 other times before that last 13th click Mm -hmm. that you want to try and keep that user down the path that you're trying to take them Mm -hmm. and showing them the content that's important for them. So I think that's the first macro trend, in my opinion, that I try and implement every day for my clients. But the second one, too, is the way that the SERP's changing in general. I mean, when I first entered the space, the left-hand rail was gone (laughs) and everyone freaked out, right? (laughs) And that, you know, later down the road, we're realizing, oh, we have more real estate for ad copy and things like that. But Mm -hmm. that left-hand rail... I didn't realize how many of my ads were showing on there. That drove CPCs up. It changed Mm -hmm. things. But it changes the way that the user looks at the SERP too. It's not as cluttered Mm -hmm. anymore. So we found that more people were spending time reading ads. Mm -hmm. That was a shocker to us. I didn't think anybody (laughs) looked at my second description, (laughs) but that's the case. And that's the game that we're in now. Adding shopping and adding all the different ad types, um, image types for that as well, Mm -hmm. has made it look different. And I think that's a huge trend that advertisers don't really talk about enough, um, especially just all the research I've done with paid search, is really 
think about what it looks like to a user. Uh, Think about everything that they're looking at on that page and all the images that they're seeing. Mm -hmm. It goes from what are they asking for and are you making that ad as eye-appealing as you possibly can? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually something that I've thought about before because... Like with clients, when we're talking about year-over-year trends, mm-hmm. and you know, why are your search metrics different than they were a year ago? You know, there are broader things that you can speak to, but I always wish that I would have taken a screenshot a year ago <laughs> so that now I could compare. And so that's something that I think we should start doing. You know, yeah. benchmarking <laughs> screenshots of yeah. our actual ads and the the SERPs so that we can benchmark things moving forward. Yeah, I think if we've seen anything, it's that every year it's going to change oh, pretty yeah. drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to um, sort of echo a lot of what you guys said, I think we're entering a multimodal world that is, to Kim's point about voice, where there's not a finite way to search. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times where I'm on a laptop, I have a voice assistant, I have a TV, and, you know, I may go ask Google for a recipe, and then I will go from a voice search to touching it because I'm swiping up and looking because that's easier than verbally scrolling through things. I think that um, voice and multimodal will become ubiquitous in automobiles, mm-hmm. and that's really going to change paid search because we're going to be in a car and we're going to want to know what restaurants are nearby, what movies are available, mm-hmm. and some of that's going to be voice search, some of that's going to be swiping and clicking. But I also think that, to Kim's point as well, with Internet of Things and being able to talk to your refrigerator or these other things, it's really going to change search in general, but specifically paid search. And then when you layer on some of the sophistication that Anna's talking about, we used to be very much um, appreciative of Google and or Microsoft having this knowledge graph and having all of this data and being able to add different elements to make the keyword query more relevant based on demographics, psychographics, mm-hmm. or online behavior. But actually, there's, we're able to layer on more than that now. So it's not just a knowledge graph. It's actually, you know, Microsoft bought LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So in terms of paid search, we don't have to just leverage the psychographics and demographics. We can say, we only want restaurants with more than 50 locations that have these attributes. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a little bit more of a 360 view. We still don't have everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, and to also to echo something that Anna said, Anna said that now the ad experiences are a little bit more infused and you have more real estate. I think that there's potentially as a macro trend, maybe a potential of a backlash. And I want to fuse two things, one native, but also Google and Microsoft and others making the ads less apparent that they're ads to less marketing oriented users. Mm -hmm. And so right now that probably is a Brands might think that's a good thing, but to users, um, to Kim's point, if if a search engine's just a tool to decipher user intent, if there's too much ad and not enough relevance, Mm -hmm. you can end up with a poor user experience. And and the last thing I think, and I have no idea what this is going to look like, but as a macro trend, as we move from a a cookie-based world to a cookie-less world, it's really going to shift paid search in, in probably ways that we can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I've said this before on previous episodes, I do think it's going to be some level of biometrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why we're you know using our fingerprints to log into computers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then what that does is it fragments these walls where there's an Apple ecosystem and it has the tracking capability. There's a Google ecosystem that has tracking capability. And how do we get this information as we go to different devices and different touch points. But if if somebody's like, hey, I've got my Amazon self, my Google self, my Apple self, and then you don't have the cookie, Mm -hmm. it's really 
going to be different and challenging. Yeah, and to add to that point, I think too is more and more data is potentially going away from marketers as consumers are striving for more privacy. Mm-hmm. We may start to rely more on search because you don't have to rely as much on third-party data. Yeah, the user intent of the query trumps just the what we used right. to get from the demographic, psychographics, and behavioral. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the search engines are are shifting that way with the new ad type that Google's really trying to, and Microsoft as well, they're trying to keep their users on their page. They're yep. trying to encourage them to shop there. They're trying to encourage them to place their images in there and search there. Local pages are coming out and those are those are big too. So you're totally correct. It's moving that direction, but I think too, the engines are very aware of it and they're already making steps internally that maybe we don't realize as much, but that is their process. I know this is going off the rails a little bit, but what I'm about to say are off topic. But I think layering this back to previous episodes and even future episodes, I think that's where DSPs and some of these other platforms allow us to not, even if we don't have the data, we know that we can do this one thing here and then still interact over here in search or retargeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. I do think that's also a macro trend that'll come that, and, and it sort of goes into measurement in general, that I think clients are slowly learning you don't have to convert on the first click. And that there are techniques to have pull-throughs, whether the journey begins in search or the journey begins somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and going back to Anna, your point about the zero-click searches, we've seen a huge rise in that. And we talk about it a lot with our SEO team and providing recommendations on answer boxes and mm-hmm. all of these things. But it is really prevalent from an ad perspective yeah. as well. I mean, we've got Google's new lead gen form beta that um, is out right now. There's also you know, service listing ads, hotel ads, shopping actions, all these things that are meant to let people stay on the, the SERP but take whatever action they need mm-hmm. to take right there without even going to your website. So you know, we're going to have to shift our mindset of measurement in order to be able to you know, say, yes, we haven't seen the traffic or the website up- uplift, mm-hmm. but we're still seeing these actions elsewhere. All right, so one thing that I think is really important to talk about is the increase in data and the advanced metrics that we now have access to. (laughs) So what advanced metrics have you found, and Anna, I'm looking specifically at you, (laughs) have you found the most impactful? And I think it'll be interesting to talk about that and also, you know, have Brian and Kim weigh in on on what may and may have not been available back in the day. Anna, you own this, but I've got to work this in before you start. The metrics that we used back, they weren't that good, but I've got a joke. You asked to say, could we bring a joke in? Yeah. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? No one, because my average position is 6.9. <laughs> we used to report on average position. That used to be a oh, yeah. major no metric. It's longer anymore. Yep. I know. That's why I said I had one of the joke. <laughs> I, I found a joke <laughs> online. So take us out of <laughs> the average position and the, and the CPC. <laughs> Personally, like being a paid search nerd, like I geek out over it. Mm -hmm. But also, I try and look at these metrics as a way to answer the questions that our clients have been looking for. Mm -hmm. Like Brian mentioned, like we used to live in this black box of paid search where we just gave 10 cents and we'd spent 10 cents and that's about all we knew. Mm -hmm. And today, we just have so much more insight into not only how much we're averagely paying per click, but also where our ad is and what qualifications Google has dinged us for that have given us a quality score of 10 or of 9 or of 8. These advanced metrics are important not only to give us more insight and clarity for our clients' 
answers uh, to the questions that they're asking us as an agency. But also they're important for search engines. The bottom line, what they care about is the user experience. We now have so much competition in the paid search world. We have less ad placements where we can show. And so what it comes down to really is that user experience and what we're delivering as advertisers. So yes, is it great to see quality score broken up historically? And I can see day over day when I changed an ad copy or landing page, how that affected my quality score. I mean, yeah, I geek out about it. But I always have to remember, like, there's a bigger importance to that. And that is, what am I giving to the user at the end of the day and their experience that they're seeing? Um, It relays so much to what the engines are looking for. They reward us. We pay less Mm -hmm. for um, a better user experience. And that's really what they're trying to give the user at the end of the day. And that's why they're giving us all these advanced metrics. So showing us, you know, impression share differences and absolute top of page rate, as well as the click share metrics that we're getting now. Mm -hmm. Um, All those things are great to geek out about, but, you know, how can we use those and how can we really get some some good insights and deep dives and optimizations? So Anna, one of the things I think, the major search engines haven't gotten there completely yet, but I love the fact that they have put more emphasis on the entire you know, share of voice, so to speak. That's where uh, a lot of marketers would talk about in the past. Google and Microsoft and, uh, have been so focused historically on that you know, conversion-oriented metrics. They haven't talked the brand language. And so bringing in more brand language will help not only them get more uh, spend from brands, but also it helps the brands understand what's upper funnel, what's lower funnel, where do I need to be. It allows the marketers to be more sophisticated. So that's exciting. They're not there yet, but there's a lot more than there was when, when definitely when I started and even yeah. when probably Kim. <laughs> yeah, and, and to that point, I think, well, nobody lets me like manage campaigns anymore, so I don't get to use a lot of these advanced metrics. But I am in meetings and also as like a business owner, you see advances in connecting these online activities like all the way through the funnel, whether that's offline or through a sale and a CRM. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's what people care about. Back when we used to report on metrics, it was, hey, here's your average position, here's your clicks. And like, oh my God, we got 10 conversions. That's more than last month. So Mm -hmm. good for us. But now the question is like, well, did that turn into revenue? Like how much, what's the ROI? Should I be, what should I be spending on this? So I think there's been a lot of advancements in the tracking there, which has been good for clients. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> if you can tie it all the way back to, at the end of the day, what the, our clients care about um, from a final business standpoint, it shows how important a paid search is mm-hmm. in how much control we have with helping a user through the buyer journey. So, Anna, um, I, I think that's a good point, but I think there's a discipline that agencies and brand-side marketers need to have. Sometimes, and I've seen this, there's just too much data, there's too much reporting, we have all these metrics. It's our job to tell a story mm-hmm. and to realize there's an art and science to this. The reality is, even with the best measurement, we're still only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that happen offline that there's no way to pull in to uh, report. There's an entire mental history that a brand may have with somebody. You know, if I'm thinking about, you know, Cheerios or something, me buying Cheerios at the store didn't start today. That may have had a 30, 40 year relationship with my relationship with Cheerios, which I don't buy Cheerios, but you know, you get my point. Um, And so sometimes I think we do put too much certainty into reporting and we need to let clients know that like, hey, here's what these measurements mean, but here's what they also don't mean. There's a lot there and I've seen clients almost, we give them too much and then they want to start making the wrong inferences or maybe thinking that things have more certainty than they do. 
And um, I think there's a yin and yang to, the, to yeah. the, all the advanced metrics. So speaking of making quicker decisions, <laughs> I want to transition into automation. Automated bidding specifically has come a long way. I know, Kim, when you and I were doing this, it was something that like, we would not even consider yes. layering onto our campaigns. But now it's almost like the opposite, where if you're relying on manual bidding, mm-hmm. like, come on, get with the time. So <laughs> as we you know, move further and further away from manual bid management, what are your thoughts on it? And you know, any recommendations? Well, yeah, so my thoughts have changed drastically over the years. You're right, whenever we were managing campaigns, there was no way we would have considered doing automated bidding because it's like our our clients are paying us Mm -hmm. to manage the campaigns. You turn on automated bidding, then what are you doing? Well, well, it wasn't just that back then. Well, yeah, back then they just weren't smart enough either. You would turn it on Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden your cost per conversion would go up or you'd be spending more. You just didn't have as much control. But now, obviously, the SERPs have invested a lot in this technology and I do see Mm -hmm. it as an example where like humans and machines are better working together, especially when you look at some of the more tedious aspects of managing a campaign, whether that's like just general campaign management, creative testing, measurement, like all that Mm -hmm. stuff is helped by automation and also frees up time for you, Anna, to be more strategic. So I do think it's something that has come a long way and I'm pro-automation now. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We've converted her. (laughs) I think that now at this point in the game, if you're not testing automated bidding or looking for which smart bidding tool is better for your account, then you're not keeping up with what your competitors are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think too, as advertisers, we kind of get sucked into thinking that automated bidding is the TCPA, is the target ROAS, are all of these things that are given to us on the engines. But the truth is, is you can also apply custom scripts for your automated bidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, we have a client that has a really great script um, that bids up and down based off weather patterns. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about automated bidding, you know, I think as advertisers, we test out you know, the eight or however many we have available to us at the time. And we're like, oh, these don't work. You know, they're not as good as our manual CPCs or our automated rules that we have running. Mm-hmm. But think outside the box a little bit. You know, there's so many other data points that you can now feed in through our advanced metrics mm-hmm. uh, and really use automated bidding at at a different level and it's all about finding what's important to the client um, and what why should it matter to your client that you're bidding up or down and if the engines don't supply that with you then there's other ways you can go about it so I think that's the first thing the other thing too about uh, automated bidding and a way that I've found it to be pretty easy to see uh, if your competitors are using it is checking out Auction Insights. It's a great way. I'm probably in Auction Insights just as much as I am in search term reports. (laughs) I love knowing what the competitors are doing. Uh, I just find it, I just geek out about it. But if you notice that your competitor's impression share is higher than yours, but their top of page rate is lower than yours, then you can infer that they are probably smart bidding because what they're doing is they're trying to show that's what a smart bidding tool is going to do, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be, they don't want to be in position one every time. So if you want to look into that and see, you know, maybe are my comp- competitors testing smart bidding? Mm-hmm. Am I late to the game? Check out Auction Insights and see if you can find some things there. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, that could be a way to convince clients to test into a strategy if they're hesitant. Yeah. You know, your competitors are doing it. <laughs> so um, I think there's a lot of interesting things. Anytime a machine can do something that has a finite number of variables and it is a large processing load, it makes sense for 
you know, machines and AI to handle. I, I think there is a little bit, talking about a macro trend, of a little bit too much controls being taken away in some cases. And I'm not just talking about automated bidding, I'm talking about in other parts, Facebook and others. And even though that's not paid search, they're trying to make things better, but sometimes there's a lack of sophistication or of understanding all the elements that are needed in the bidding strategy. And Anna mentioned this earlier, I think some of our clients that have really good automated bidding are also supplementing that with data feeds, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. something like, uh, you know, weather or occupancy or mm-hmm. uh, something around um, other attributes of the products that then we can be smarter with and we can let run. It, it sort of reminds me, um, and I've talked about this a few times internally, of Centaur Chip. Most people, we think about, oh, machine always beats man in chess. There's nothing we can do about it. They've surpassed us. You know, we're going to be, you know, in the matrix soon or whatever. But the real reality is the reason that machines can beat us in chess is there's a small number of variables and there's not a lot of context. They don't have to look at the weather. They don't have to look at whether it's a holiday. They don't have to look at location. They don't have to look at all these other things. Every variable you add in expands that. So Centaur Chess is where man and machine plays machine. And the man and machine crushes any machine that they've ever tried to put against it because what happens is the art and the context and all that really raises the game. So like when Anna won her account, she's able to look at this and say, you know, what other data points can I feed in? What is the overall macro situation? Oh, there's a hurricane. Maybe we don't want to run ads. Or hey, here's these other things that are more brand-centric that a machine's not going to pick up on. So I think that it's exciting, but I think that the bare minimum is some of the automated bidding that that the search engines provide? How do you layer that in with either scripts or additional data feeds or other tools to make it uniquely art and science, so to speak? Yeah, no, totally. It goes back into the back end of paid search and how it's changed. Now it's not a one-stop shop for the best campaign type uh, or best practices. They, they morph based off the vertical and the client that you're mm-hmm. working on. So, you know, when you're thinking about how to set up a paid search account nowadays, you think about those things. You think about the data points that I can plug in. You think about how can I make this uniquely individual to my client mm-hmm. and, and kind of give it its own little stamp of approval in a sense. Every search account that I work in, it's so fun to dive into a different one because they're all different now. Mm-hmm. There's never the same one. And so if we ran completely on automation, we'd be producing the exact same search ads mm-hmm. time and time again. And all that would be changing would be our CPCs that we're applying to it and how much it, it costs to be in position one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a huge thing now as advertisers is using automated bidding and using these other automated strategies that we touched on to help you. Do you guys think that automated bidding has contributed to the inflation of CPCs over the past couple of years? 100%. <laughs> now, I do think that you know the inflation of CPCs is just something that everybody's seen. There's so many articles on it now. We can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that is because your competitors are more than likely going after that same ideal target audience that you are. And they're going to try and find them at the prime time when they are ready to do the conversion that you want them to do. And they're in all these infinity audiences and they're in all these lookalike models that we have and they've touched our site this many times. So inherently it is going to inflate it because your competitor is also going to try and bid on them at the exact same time. To jump into that for a second, uh, CBCs have gone up every year in general and obviously they're going up a little bit more right now. But I also think that's part of the evolution of the medium. When 
we were talking about earlier, when you could buy a click for 10 cents or even a dollar, the ROI for a client was pretty high. And, and so what Google and uh, Microsoft and other search engines are able to do is extract every dollar from the margin that they can now because with automated bidding, it's like if you're willing to pay $150 for a customer and last year you were getting 98, you're gonna end up paying 150 because the market's just gonna push it that way. With that being said, I also think that we can't look at search engines, search engine queries in this homogenous way we typically have. I think there needs to be some forced experimentation. So whether that's you know doing some of the um, shifting budget to Microsoft, for example, we've seen some clients that have performed much better in Microsoft than Google, and we've seen some do really well in Google. And that's not even thinking about the LinkedIn targeting that you can layer on. I think there's other alternative platforms. And when I say platforms, you know whether it's Google Shopping or some some of the stuff that you can do in Amazon and other things. I think that we sometimes as people that look at paid search a lot tend to micro-focus on Google and Microsoft and then allocate budgets according to uh, the market share of search versus peeling it back a little bit more and having some budget to experiment. Maybe some products are going to skew toward one audience more and they're going to perform better in a different mm -hmm. search platform. Yeah, no, and it all ties back to what you mentioned before, Kim, about 15% of queries are brand new. Well, those are 15% of queries that maybe our competitors aren't mapping to as much. That could be those inefficient buys that we experiment with. You know, we talk to our clients a lot about it's great to have a conversion page, but we need more content. We need to talk to the user more on sites. So experimenting with that queries in that way, they're cheaper CPCs, they're newer, long-tailed even, but it's just a way to keep your brand and your clients' uh, website top of mind for, for the user. And I, I think that's a great, a great way to experiment with search. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap it up, but before we do, I I know we talked a little bit about what we expect is going to come down in paid search in the future, but let's explore that a little bit more. Any final thoughts on where you think paid search is heading in 2020? I mean, I think to add on to Brian's point, the consumer journey is going to continue to be more complex every year. There's the shift, like we talked about, from typing to voice or from text to visual, query lists. But regardless of all of the complexity, going back to what we said in the beginning, the search engine's goals are always going to be to provide the most relevant information. So that needs to be top of mind for marketers. So brands need to really focus still on the audience's intent. They need to work really hard to understand the different roles that different platforms are playing for specific audiences in their industry and at that time in their buyer journey. And so the challenge for us is like, how do you create that cohesive strategy across this increasing number of platforms, not only search platforms, but a lot of search platforms um, that people are using while you know, taking advantage of all of the opportunity. And going back to Anna's point, focusing on providing really relevant and valuable ads and content for people because yeah. it is so much more competitive now. When I think about the future of search, it's all the things that Kim just said, but also I see it more shifting towards a feed-based system. You know, the engines are really pushing dynamic search ads now. I think they talk to us a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one, it is a cool feature and it's fun to experiment with, but I'm now starting to think that the reason why they're pushing it so much <laughs> is because that's kind of the way that the industry is going. You know, we... 
Google and, and Microsoft as well and all the engines, they're crawling our websites now more than ever. And mobile-first indexing, when that came out, that was a huge shift. And us as advertisers, we just had to adapt. You know, We're like, we can't stop them from crawling our websites. It's mm-hmm. just it's the nature of the game. It's what they're going to do. And so we had to shift. We had to start thinking mobile-first. And then all of a sudden, everyone's talking to their clients to see all these <laughs> articles about mobile-first. And now we're seeing that same thing happening again with feed-based systems. Google really wants you, and Microsoft and all the engines really want you to provide them a list of landing pages for them that they can crawl, that they can map queries for you on your behalf. And as cool as it is, I think as advertisers, we have to keep that in our back pocket and understand that we might be moving away from a keyword approach, which is scary because <laughs> that's a new world. But uh, it, it also it gives us some some flexibility as advertisers as well. And it, it gives us more of back to that user experience of thinking about how the landing pages adapt mm-hmm. to the queries and what the user has been looking for um, in the past. So I think that's a huge shift. I think that this automation, what we've been talking about, automated ad types, I've heard, I've read a crazy article that said that we went from text ads to expanded text ads to now third headline, second description, and then I read an article that said RSAs, responsive search ads, are going to be the new like text ad. I don't think I don't see that happening anytime soon, but I do think that there is some logic behind that. I think that mm-hmm. you know it's not just on text ads. There's responsive display ads now too. Yeah. It's like a whole shift, a whole mentality uh, that we're you know. We just got to latch on and embrace it and learn the best practices that we have now um, and get ready for it because I don't see manual CPC and just bidding on a keyword existing in five years. Interesting. I agree with everything they said. I think the thing I would add on to that is goes back to some of the stuff I talked about earlier. I do think voice search and multimodal is going to explode. They haven't figured out the user experience of that yet. If I'm in the car and I have a voice assistant in my car and I say, hey, where's the next gas station? or you know, something like that, am I going to get a paid response or am I going to get an organic response? The real one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, same thing with food and whatnot. I think there's some UX and CX things to work out, but I do think that multimodal and uh, voice are really going to change search in general because it's changed how we discover brands, interact with brands. All right, great. Well, thank you all for joining me today. Our next episode, we're going to continue on this paid search trend. We're going to be talking about paid search account structure best practices. So if you're excited about paid search, definitely tune into that. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. Also, you can feel free to email us if you have any questions or recommendations on content that you'd like us to cover in the future. Our email is paidmediacoffee at neboagency.com and you can follow us on Twitter at paidmediacoffee. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks. 